once again the true light. As the prophet has said, seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. This program will give you the answers to all your questions from the beginning of time until judgment day. The hourglass is almost empty. So come and hear the dynamic teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Noble Drew Ali, Marcia Sarge, Clarence 13A, all those warners sent to raise North but now found chief in the wilderness of North America. نشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله والي الكريم وصلى الله على أنبياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحسي والمجدد لمن مرسلين أما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that he is alone and has no part. And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universes. All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend. And send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles. And on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the guy, and on the Mujadda, the reform, which was all set from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. And now, the true light featuring Sayyid Isa Al Hadi Al Mahdi. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I ran across a book uh, last week called The Lost Book of the Bible and the Forgotten Books of Eden. And um, I ran across something that was uh, disturbing to me. Um, I can't read this in Roman numerals, but it's a chapter about Adam and Eve. It's one of the books that wasn't in the Bible. And um, I ran across something of a prophecy of the coming of Christ. <clears throat> and this is Adam. This is God supposedly speaking to Adam, if I can read this. Again said God unto Adam, all this misery that hath been made to take upon thee because of thy trans transgression will not set free from the hand of Satan. It will not save thee, but I will. When I shall come down from heaven and shall become flesh of thy seed and take upon me the infamy from which thou sufferest, then the darkness that came upon thee in the cave shall come upon me in the grave when I'm in the flesh of the seed. And I shall, when I'm without years, shall be subject to the reckoning of years, of times, of months, and of days. And I shall be reckoned, reckoned as one of the sons of man in order to save thee. Um... What he is saying to me is that um, that Allah personified into a man and came down. Right. No problem. You know why? Because I'm looking at a man right now, you, mm -hmm. and Allah is a soul inside your body. You understand that? Allah is in every man. That's why Jesus made a statement, did I not say ye are God? When they tried to pinpoint him as just a God, 
They asked him, what's the highest of all the commandments? He said, well, the highest of all the commandments is that the Lord thy God is one God, and you should worship him alone. That was his statement. But when he referred to anybody else in St. John's, he said, I came unto my own people, but my own people received me not. But as many of them that do receive me, I give them the power to be what? Sons of God. When the, when the Pharisees and them questioned him about his Godship, he turned and said, Is it not written in your law, I said ye are God? <laughs> so he was not saying that he was the only God personified. He was saying all man who lives righteous has the spirit of the Most High in them or the soul moving them, making them holy. That's why Jesus kept saying, you've got to be born again. You have messed up since your first birth. You've got to be born again and get the Holy Spirit moving inside you again. And that Holy Spirit comes down from where? What did Jesus say? It comes down from heaven. But when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus in the morning, they said the skies opened up an image or like a dove descended down from heaven upon Jesus. And then they heard a voice from heaven saying what? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You see? So it was the spirit that he sent down. Because the voice was still in the heavens. That's what the Christians keep missing when they read that section. When it speaks about the skies opening the dove descending, the voice came from the heavens. So if Jesus was on earth and the dove was descending or the likeness of a dove was descending, the voice, who was the voice of whom? Well, Jesus made it very clear in Matthew. He said, our father who art where? In heaven. And Jesus made it very clear to them in their doctrine of crucifixion, because if he was on the cross, he said, Father, it is over. Unto your hands I send my spirit. Now, if he was the Father, shouldn't he say, well, it is over. Now I will return to heaven. He didn't say that. He's speaking from the first person singular to the second. Father, it is over. Unto your hands I send my spirit. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, so there's nothing wrong with that book. That book is merely saying that when you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. When I see you, I see the Father. If you are walking in the Father's footsteps, and if you are obeying the words of the Father, and if you are living by the commandments of the Father, when I see you, I see the Father. The Prophet Muhammad made the same statement. He said, follow my sunnah. Follow my way, because I am the best of examples for this day and time. I am the seal of the prophets. Obey me, and you're obeying Allah. Love me, and you're loving Allah, which is the same as Jesus. I and the Father are one. When you see me, you see the Father. They said, oh, you're saying that you are the Father? He said, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are God. They said, then stone him. Anyway. So when you realize who you are and you make the declaration, all of us are the children of the Most High and His Spirit is in us, then people say about Imam Isa, he says he is Allah. I never said I am Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I am one of His sons, one of His children, and His Spirit moves in me because He said He did. He used the word nafakha, to breathe. He said he breathed, he blew his spirit into me, and I became a living soul. He said that. Now, you're going to go against that. I, that's on you. The way I see it, and the way I know you see it, is that all the divine that moves through me, my intuition, my psychic powers, and we all have these sensitivities, because sometimes you get ready to pick up a phone, and someone is there. And you get ready to call John, you get ready to dial his number, you pick up the phone, and John then dialed you at the same time. Or you walk in and say, you know what? I haven't seen my friend Ahmed in about a month.
turn the corner and bump right into Ahmed. That is divine moving in you. Because it ain't no coincidence if it happened more than twice. Coincidence means two incidents. Coincidence. If it happened to you more than twice in your life, then it ain't no coincidence. The divine is moving inside you. And if you channel that divine, nothing can stop you. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If you channel the divine in you and let it grow in you and become born again and let the Holy Spirit move you and live by the will of the Most High, nothing and nobody can stop you. That's what I'm trying to teach. And of course the white man and the devil and his helpers hate that because I'll have black men walking around saying, you know what we are? We are supreme beings. We didn't say we are Allah. We are the supreme beings. As I said a couple of weeks ago downstairs, and I was in the class, I said that they go to Egypt and they look at statues all up and down the Nile, don't they? And what do they call them? Gods. They say these are Egyptian gods. That's Ramses. That's one of your descendants they're talking about. That's Abimelech, one of your descendants. So when the white man is on one of his little excursions to Cairo, fly Cairo for $354, and go from the hotel, and he rides on over to the pyramids, and he sees the Sphinx. Then he goes down into Luxor, and he sees all these massive statues of black men with big lips and nappy hair, and says, these are the Egyptian gods, right? Then he comes back to America, borders in Kennedy Airport, and sees this guy grabbing his luggage and says, look at that nasty nigger. Mm. That nasty nigger, Whitey is the same God you was admiring when you was in Egypt. <laughs> you just misplaced him. You just took his soul from him. You, moved, you removed his purpose, and you injected drugs and alcohol and bad thoughts and anger and envy and jealous. You removed his dignity. You removed his manhood. How can he stand up and be supreme when you have made him a bum? But I'm going to tell you something, white man. If you stop and listen to a derelict, you hear divine. <laughs> You're right about that. If you go right up to the Port Authority and talk to a, a derelict who's mumbling, listen to what that man is mumbling. He's usually saying, they did this to me. I don't know why they picked on me. I trusted in them. I be- Didn't you trust him? You trust the white man so much that you worked six days and waited to get paid on the seventh. And they would start working another six days and waiting to get paid on the seventh. You never once said, pay me each day I work. Or pay me before I do the work. No, you did a whole six days. And then he gave you a piece of paper and sent you to a friend of his who put a stamp and made you sign your signature. He gave you some more paper and told you it was worth its weight in gold. Oh, you could identify with gold. Why can you identify with gold? Because you come from Mother Africa, Africa where gold is born. And I, I want to add another chapter to this, which I've said many times. If the Heavenly Father, are y'all with me? If the Heavenly Father didn't love black people so much, why did he put all of the richest minerals under our feet in Africa and none in Europe? Why is gold and diamonds and onyx and ivory, they got to go to Africa to shoot our elephant brothers, because that's all they are to us. That's how we live with them until Tarzan came. (laughs) A white man, huh? running around Africa, yeah, right. Catch malaria and die the first week. (laughs) But anyway, 
in Africa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed gold. If you don't believe me, ask the South Africans. That's why they have apartheid, really. Now, why did Allah chose you to give the gold? He could have put it in Europe. He didn't put it in the Vatican. The Pope ain't got no gold growing under him. He don't think much of Christianity, you know. Because Christians, they never had no wealth. They ain't even had good weather. Nowhere they ever resided was there ever a comfortable environment for Christians. Nowhere. Not even in Utah. But the Almighty, now listen again. He loves you so much. He put the criteria for wealth in the whole world under your feet in Africa. Gold. And you gave it up to be American Negroes. You willfully gave up the gold to serve the white man. Because the slave master came over there and made offers for you that he's going to give you more money for your labors than you can earn in your own land. <laughs> How can you earn more money than all the gold in the world? Ain't that what he told us? And then we climb on the good ship Jesus That's right. <laughs> and end up in America. And has he ever given you a gold? No. What has he given you in turn? He gave you drugs. He gave you pork. He gave you poverty. He gave you diseases. He gave you the wrong image of yourself, the wrong likeness of yourself. He even changed the name from, from Allah to God. He took away God. He took away language. He took away land. He took away your name. And now he's even taken away your manhood and changing you into Michael Jackson. He hasn't stopped taking. And you know the worst part about it, y'all? You know the worst part? We haven't stopped giving. There's still black people saying, all white people ain't bad, are they? I mean, I know some white people. They, they, I mean, this white guy in school, you know, he, uh, well, you know, when I take this carpool, wait, wait, I was, you know, I was in the hospital very sick and this white, wait, uh, all white people are not bad, are they? <laughs> no, no. All lions are not bad either. Just don't wear no meat soup when you're around them. <laughs> what I mean by that, is as long as you are a docile, bojangle-type Sunni Muslim saying there's no racism, you never have anything to fear with the white man. He loves Satsmo. He loves Rochester. He loves Sammy Davis Jr. He loves Bed Marine. But he can't stand Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He can't stand Malcolm X. He couldn't stand Marcus Garvey. He couldn't stand Noble Dwali. He couldn't stand Clarence 13X. And he can't stand me. And I won't let him stand on me or you if I can help it. You understand? But he loves a smiling, head-scratching, watermelon-eating, even if he's saying he's a Muslim. I'm a Muslim, but white people are okay. Which white people are okay? The Irish? The Polish? The Yiddish? Who? Name one that's okay. Name one that's not responsible in some way or form for going into one of our lands and destroying us. Tell me what the white man has contributed to the upliftment of humanity. Bombs? Genocide? Drugs? Manufacturing of drugs? Tell me, brother. Give me a reason to want to like them. Just one. Give me a reason to want to trust them. Just one. Give me a reason to want to live with them. Just one. 
Give me a reason to want to work with them. Just one. Because I came over here not of my own free will. Because you took me off my goal. Because you wanted it. And I learned to like you. No, no, no. Better yet. I learned to love you more than I love myself. Because I wanted to look like you. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk like you. I wanted to walk like you. I wanted to live in the houses you live in and go to the clubs you go to and eat in the restaurants you do and laugh at the comedy you laugh at and cry at the sad days and give out hearts on Valentine's Day. I wanted to celebrate the fact that you beat up the Indians and took their land. We call it Thanksgiving. I wanted to celebrate the birth of your women, the witches in the hollows, and we call it Halloween. I want to eat rats and call it rabbit. I want to eat pork, the filth of the earth. I want to get drunk. I want to stay drugged. I want you to rape my sisters. I want my sisters walking around with mini skirts and extensions of dead people's hair. This is all the things I want from you. I appreciate this, Mr. Whitey. It's the least you can do for us who built America for you. This is the least you could do for people who came and trusted you. We gave you our trust because we are very sensitive people. We gave you our very heart. And right now, there's brothers and sisters still out there trusting the Mr. White Man, going to your schools and getting your education and believing that one day there's going to be some hope because Dr. Martin Luther King said so. They didn't see how he died. Yeah. They didn't see why he died. They seem to have forgotten even when he died. They don't know that he was a peaceful man and you killed him. And Malcolm X was a very unpeaceful man and you killed him. So you didn't kill them for what they said or what they wanted. You killed them for what they were. And that means, black man, that regardless of what you say, whether it's a black Muslim or black Jew or 5% or a Rastafarian, or Pentecostal, or born-again Christian, or Seventh-day Adventist, or Jehovah Witness, or Africanologist, whatever you say you are, he doesn't kill you for that reason. He kills you because you are a supreme being. He's killing God every time he kills one of you. He's killing the name of Allah every time he removes one of you. This is what the white man has given you in return for your slave labor. You understand what I'm saying? He abuses you over and over again. And I want to add, I'm as sensitive as any other black man here. And I feel sorry for anybody, Sunni Muslim or Christian or anybody who wants to slide up under the arm of this devil in his leprosy and let him lie to you and tell you what he's going to promise you in the future. We then waited 379 and some more. For your Christ to come. We didn't watch the skies. We didn't sung the gospel. We didn't had the seizures. We didn't gave you our money. We foamed at the mouth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit as Paul said so. We went and fought the war for you. We didn't only go to Vietnam. We fought the civil war. You follow what I'm saying? What else do you want from us? And all we ask of you is to recognize our existence and either replace us 
from which you've taken us or give us the ability to build for ourselves. I don't think that's asking too much after 400 years. Either give us back our motherland, Africa, and take your little leprous butt on out of there. Mm-hmm. Go on back up on that mountain in Europe behind that rope and let that leprosy come upon you again, that hemophilia and your syphilis and your gonorrhea and your herpes, let it all eat you up and leave us alone. It's just because we are supreme beings that we work off compassion and mercy. We keep forgiving you. We keep forgiving you. I should have realized when Allah didn't want you under the sun that you didn't belong on this planet. Mm. I should have realized that, that you're the only people on the planet that can't lay on the beach without fear of dying of cancer. That was man's sign that you were not an earthling. And you didn't come from out of space, otherwise you wouldn't be trying to get up there. You would know how to get up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. You could have only came from hell. A pit. Because that you know how to do. You know how to dig down. <laughs> so all we're going to do is bind you and put you back in your pit. That's that. I got um, two more questions. Um, one, um, the first question is I went to a um, Dr. Ben uh, lecture and he made something, a comment about Moses, uh, how he got the Ten Commandments. And he said that Moses lived in Egypt all his life and that the Egyptians recited the 42 negative confessions, which was partial of the uh, Ten Commandments, and uh, that he didn't get it from the burning bush, that he studied in Egypt and he was a high priest, and that's how he got it. Could you uh, clarify that? Sure, it's quite simple. You know what's wrong with (laughs) my good brother, Dr. Ben? What's that? He's been talking to the wrong kind of Muslim. He's been talking to misinformed Muslims. Well, he said that he got his research uh, from being in Africa. Right. And I've seen him there yeah. on, his, on his excursions and his tours. Yeah. And don't knock it. But what he's missing is this. Bismillahi ar-Rahmani ar-Rahim. Anybody can turn their Quran to this if they want. Chapter 2, verse 136. <laughs> وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْنَا وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْمَاعِيلَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ وَأَسْبَاطَ وَمَا أُطِيعَ مُوسَى that's Moses وَعِيسَى that's Jesus وَمَا أُطِيعَ نَبِيُّونَ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ لَا نُفَرِّقْ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِنْهُمْ وَنَحْنُ لَهُ مُسْلِمُونَ This quote is saying, it's talking first of all to all Muslims from Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. Say this, Muslim, I have my faith by way of Allah, billahi, and wa ma what unzila was sent down ilayna to us. And this is talking about the Quran. Okay? Wa ma and what unzila ilay was sent down to Abraham. If you ask a Muslim, what book was sent down to Abraham? The average Muslim don't know about the Sahuf. They don't have that kind of knowledge. They just go, the Quran. <laughs> and that's that. We've already passed the Quran. This book says something was sent down to Abraham, a revelation. Okay? Wa Ismail and, and Ishmael. Wa Ishaq and Isaac. Wa Yaqub and Yaqub. Wa Asbat and the tribes. That ends that. 
what was sent down to you, meaning the Quran, and what was sent down to Abraham, the Sahuk, and to Ismail, his son, Ismail and Isaac, who both had the revelation of Sahuk, the father, and Jacob, and the tribes, meaning the tribes of Israel, and Ishmael, and the tribes of Midian, the Midianites. Then it says, and what was given to Moses, because these were pre-written tablets and given to him, as opposed to the coming down like this inspiration that came to Muhammad. And what was given to Jesus. And it was written, received by John, son of Zebedee, the book of Revelation, and then given to Jesus. That's why I used the word given. Then it says, and what was what? Given to the prophets from their sustainers. This is the key. We have covered the major prophets that we're talking about here. We're covering everybody from Abraham to Muhammad. You understand? And all those books in between would be inclusive, which would cause, include the Sabor of Daud and his father Suleiman, the word Nebiuna. If we go back to Genesis of the Bible, we'll find that Noah had sons. And from Noah's son came Cush and a man named Mizraim. Mizraim was where they get the word Mizraim, which is the Arabic equivalent to the Hebrew Mizraim for Egypt today. Mm -hmm. Egyptos, we know, is a Greek word meaning burnt or black faces. That don't belong there. All right? So the descendants of Noah, who was a prophet and who received revelation and who also had the books of the Sahuk of Enoch and Adam and Abraham and Seth, mm -hmm. took their books and went into Egypt with them way before the writing of Unkenantan Psalms. Now, those Egyptians are of the family of Noah. And the scripture says, Noah was perfect in his generation, and the Lord found favor in him and his seed, you see? So the Egyptians that are writing these Psalms and Proverbs, like Unkin Unkin and them, they were part of the Nebuchadnezzar. They were prophets. And just like there's things in the Quran that match what's in the Torah, and there's things in the New Testament that match what is in the Old Testament, and there's things in the Psalm that match what's in the Torah and the New Testament, Old Testament and the New Testament, the writings that came out of Egypt will match what Moses said because Moses was influenced by the Egyptians, educated by the Egyptians, and brought the same information that came from the Sahor, which was the Sahor of the descendants of Mizraim, who were descendants of Noah, and under the same covenant of Abraham from the same creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those are the books of the prophets that they're talking about here. And those were sacred scriptures that was in Egypt. So Moses did use portions of them, as well as have his own revelation. Because in that case, everything he received would have to come from that one tablet. And it didn't. Portions of that tablet are found in the five books of Moses, the same way portions of the Torah and the Injil are found in the Quran. So there is no difference. It's the same, tell Dr. Ben, it's the same family. They are all Noah's descendants. It's the same book. The Egyptian pharaohs who believed in Tawhid, which is the unification of Allah's deity, oneness, were prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they're the same one. That's why the pharaoh, as they call the pharaoh in the Quran, converted to Islam, as opposed to the way it was left unexplained in the Torah. Okay? Okay, I can understand that. I, I, I can relate to that. Uh, it's one more question, and then I'm just going to sit down. Um, <clears throat> this, this lost 
books of the Bible and forgotten books of Eden. I don't understand why they were left out of the Bible or the Torah. All right, let me go again. <laughs> Come on, this is, don't go nowhere. I might need you. <laughs> All right. Here's why. What happens again is there we are in New York City, United States of America, looking at King James versions of the Bible. When the Quran was revealed to Muhammad, alayhi salatu wasalam, there was no such thing as the Bible you hold in your hand. You see? There were no such thing as King There was no such thing as a Bible that you hold in your hand. A King James version of the Bible. The Bibles that they had back in his time was the Catholic Bible. If you go to a Catholic Bible today, you'll find it has more than 66 books in it. They have other books, the books of Maccabean, etc. If you go back to the ancient Torah, they had even more books. What I'm trying to say is that there are many books written by many saints who are not necessarily prophets. But getting, go ahead. Just interrupt you for one second. I mean, I got all the stories of Adam and Eve that I never even read in the Bible. I mean, right. their journeys, their, uh, their sins, they that's, did more sins. That's right. More things written by. Why was, that, why was that excluded from the because, Torah? Because the Torah, the word Torah means Pentateuch. Or law, right? No, yeah. But it refers to, it means Allah in Hebrew law. But refers to Pentateuch, which comes from Penta, which means five. The law of Moses was no more than the first five books. That was the law. All those other books are books of other prophets. Some of them, certain sects of Jews accepted, and some of them they didn't. The same way today in Islam, you have Shiaism and Sunnism. Sunnis accept certain hadith, and Shia accept other hadith, and they're both about the same man, Muhammad. Now, in later times, here we come with another sect called the Ahmadiyya, and they pick and choose from both Sunni and Shia hadith and create their own school of thought. So you get all these schools of thought. Now, as time passes on, certain people have more books that they believe in of the hadith than others. The only text that is authentic in this case is the Quran. The only text that is authentic in that case is the five books of Moses. All these other books are books of other prophets. Depending on the schools of thought of the rabbis, they decided which books they would and which books they didn't. You're in one country that has been invaded by a certain kind of Jew and a certain kind of Christian, so you're subject to go by their selection of the books. So you hold up the King James Version with its 66 books and say, where did these other books go? If you was in the Jerusalem there and you held up the Jerusalem Bible, it would have other books. If you was amongst the Russian Orthodox Christians, they would have other books written by saints that they knew and monks that they knew. You know what I'm saying? I do understand to a degree, but what I'm saying is, is that this is Genesis. I mean, if you're going to write about Adam and Eve, why would they exclude the whole thing of Adam and Eve from, from uh They didn't. From the trans- they didn't. What is true about Adam and Eve is found in the Torah. Scholars and rabbis wrote their own part and called them other scriptures. Oh. What is true is the five books of Moses. That's what he received. And all of them recognize that in the 613 commandments. So this book in my hand is not... It's not no, it's writings of men. So this, this is like a deep. That's exactly what it is. Okay. <laughs> exactly. All right, all right, and you'll have to decide how much of it you want to accept. Or will you go by the vein of it all, which is the Torah. 
Or do you go by, as I say, the vein of Islam, which is the Quran? Or do you listen to a whole bunch of men who want to be like Allah, who want to be like the prophet, and they start opinionating on his life and exaggerating? They want to make every prophecy in the New Testament fit the Old Testament. And now the Muslims come along and they want to make everything Jesus did look like what Muhammad did. So they start writing miracles and stuff that don't even make sense in, my, in scientific terms or in common sense. Just to make Muhammad look as great as Jesus. And they wanted to make Jesus the greatest of all, so they took every prophecy in the Torah they could and made it match him. You know what I'm saying? I this do. is the working of men. And we're supposed to be able to work our way around them. <laughs> Thank you very much. So Asalaamu Alaikum. Uh, I have a statement, and I guess it's a question, too. But um, what I want to know is, when I first came in, we were talking about the Nubians. And um, I noticed that a lot of times when we talk, we talk about how black people is the majority of people all over the whole planet, and that um, this group of black people, okay, like Orientals and, and Spanish people, and black people, we're all black people, we're all Nubians. Um, and I don't have any problems with that, but what, what bothers me sometimes is how when people talk about all the different races of Nubians and they put, put us all together, how to me it seems like black Americans get neglected. You know, they get like lost in the shuffle. And I notice how some Black people try to make other Nubians um, worse off than black Americans. And I don't feel that way. And I don't... Let me ask you a question. Okay. You don't think Spanish Harlem is, is in a bad condition as Upper Harlem? That's not what I'm saying. Just ask the question. Do you think that the Latino brothers in this country and sisters are getting treated as bad as we are? Yes. How about the new stock of Orientals? Not the Koreans, who they've given stores to. I'm talking about in Chinatown, where they now have gangs and ghettos and, and, and derelicts. See, what I'm saying, I don't have any problems with any of that. Okay. I, I can relate to all, <laughs> all of right, that. You know? But the point that I'm trying to make is that sometimes when black people push it away from black Americans and they start talking about other black nationalities, they seem to forget about their own problem. And I think that the problem of black Americans needs to be dealt with first. Well, listen to this. Before that you could really... Let me, let, me, let, me, let me add something. Okay. In Mother Africa, as it's called by people, I hate to use the word Africa because we're not Africans, we're Nubians, but people won't know who you're talking about if you don't say Africa. Right. Okay? But in Mother Africa, like Ethiopia, their conditions are worse than mine and yours. Mm-hmm. And they are us. Right. In Sudan, they're suffering, droughts. Their conditions are worse than ours, right? Right. So in reality, shouldn't we put attention on helping them? They're in a worse condition than we are and then get to ourselves? I'm just asking. Just a question. Okay. I just feel like we need to help ourselves first before we try to help anybody else. But that is ourselves. Those are our, that's, that's, that's Mother Africa. That is ourselves. And if the roots die, then the whole tree dies. I, and I agree with that. But if we don't help ourselves first, then how are we going to be able to help somebody else? Because we have two pieces of bread right now, and they have none. So if we just give them one, we both will raise up to the same level and then make the working force stronger to move to the third level. 
But if we eat both pieces of bread so we'll get strong enough to help them, masses of them in the millions will be dead. And they'll never be there when we come back to help them. So they're dying literally of starvation on the streets in Ethiopia, in Somali, in uh, Sudan. People are dying of starvation. By the time we get out of together, and you will probably know already they like the white man, they like working for him, they like the way he treats them. It's going to take time to shake this here thing. You know how many brothers and sisters in Mother Africa are going to die this year while we're getting it together? So being me and you are healthy, and our brain works, and we have two slices of bread, I say let's share one slice of bread and bring our brothers who are dying to a point where they won't die at least because the South African condition is just going to get worse. I think that we need to make some concentrated effort to do something about the conditions of the people in the Sudan from which we came as Nubians before we let them die. The white man will let our mother country die. The father then go in, bring Christianity, and then you won't be any good to them people over there. Because you try to go to Africa and convert an African back to Islam after he accepted Christianity, he like talking to a brick wall. Because the white man brought with him the Red Cross and food. He didn't bring no machinery so they can become independent. He brought grain and rice and beans and clothes and the Bible and a white Jesus. And that man starts to look like their savior. Though he saves them in one respect, he murders them in the next. But he's doing the same thing to us over here. And if we can't get it together over here first, how will we be able to see those pitfalls over there to help anyone over there? Right, I just don't right. understand how we are going to be able to help Okay, somebody. I'll tell you how. I By joining together and working together. We in the Ansarlar community, have you seen our latest newspaper? You can see what we're doing on the inside. Right. We are building. So we don't consider ourselves as doing bad. Or our problem is convincing more of our own with qualifications to come. We need our own gynecologists, dermatologists, ophthalmologists, pediatricians. We need our own shoemakers, hat makers, tailors, seamstress. We need our own everything. But black people rather be on the outside of a of a working community and talk about what they heard take place in here than to come in here and find out for themselves and help us build. They'd rather go to some dude named Abdul from Queens who says, I used to be there, and I heard they do this, and I heard they do that, and he still lives in the project. Yeah. And then he's still on welfare. But they won't come on the inside of here and work out with us. and start Because the more y'all come in, the stronger we get. The more you bring in, the more we have to produce. And the more black people we reach. But as long as you're on the outside looking in, you can't see the power of the Ansar law growing. Because we're spending so much time trying to get y'all to come in and join that we, y'all are not seeing what we have here. We are, very, we are a very advanced community. I mean, from computer technology straight on out. Don't you see the books coming out like bam, yeah. bam, bam. How sophisticated is it? How do they look? Yeah, they look good. But see, that's that's the exact point that I'm making. You know, I can see the Ansars doing it from the inside out Uh and how you're trying to bring everybody in. And um, I'm coming across the same type of problem when I'm out in the community trying to talk to other people about the Come on home and let me do the talking. I talk better than you. Yeah, you do. You do. Let, let me do it. Come on That's home true. and help me from the inside by typing some of these books and laying out these things and raising these black kids so they don't get that, you know what you saw on television earlier? So they don't get that image of white supremacy in their mind. And let me, I obviously was raised up to do the talking. Because one thing I do good is talk. 
<laughs> I, I, give that to, I give that to you, Imam Issa, but you can't be everywhere at one time. I can be everywhere at one time. That's why they have international media. That's why right now, while I'm talking here, they're listening to me in Philadelphia and in Chicago and in Trinidad and in Barbados and all over the world because we can do that now. And the bigger we get, we'll then eventually we will satellite it. And not only will they be listening to me, they'll, they'll be looking at me and they'll be able to ask questions at one time. And then when I step down, I got five grown sons all speaking Arabic ready to come in. I'm not alone. I'm not going to make the same mistake other leaders make. I'm grooming my son to step in where I step down. You follow? And they are sharper than I am. So if they think they got a problem with me, they ain't seen nothing yet. Okay? okay. But my thing is, my people won't support me. The people wrote a book about me and created a bunch of lies, and I answered the book, and you still didn't come home. Still on the outside talking in. They said, he did this, he does this, he did this, he was born here, I know the truth, I know this. I said, well, here, here's facts, here's the proof, here's pictures, here's dates, here's mathematics, here's the quote. And y'all are still outside saying, one day I'm coming in. What do I have to do to make you realize it? So you know the next thing I'm doing? I'm writing a book, and it's called 360 Questions to Ask an Orthodox Sunni Muslim. It has about 900 questions in it or more. But we say 360. You know why? Because I'm saying to you people now, if you don't believe that I am the one that Allah has raised up from the east unto the west to reform you, then take this book out there and ask anybody to answer these questions. And when they can, and they can't, then I will. And then if you still don't join in, then you deserve whatever the white man does to you. If after this book gets out there and you start asking their white Arab friends and their red Arab friends, what is this and where is this and how is this? And they say, I don't know. The only thing they're going to say is, he's crazy, he's anti-Islam, he's not a Muslim. He say, yeah, beside all that, answer this question. Right. Okay. So, so Imam Issa, all right, like for example, right now you're talking to me and you're talking to this group of people that's here and um, all those other places that you just named. But when we all leave from here, and when this here um, finishes being broadcasted or whatever, and you get into individual conversations with people that have never stepped foot over here, don't know what an Antar community is, don't understand their blackness, don't want to relate to Africa, don't want to relate to Islam, don't even want to relate to the fact that they're black, period, you know, and they think that they're better than some of their other black brothers and sisters, you know, and you are not there, right? right? But listen to and this. I have to talk to these yeah, people. Yeah, but you don't have to do that. You know why? Because why? if you were here and 100,000 more of you were here, we would intimidate the white man so much that he'll start telling Uncle Remus and then how he really feels about them. The problem is there's still somebody for the white man to reason with and to talk to. There's still Negroes still going to lunch with him and hanging out with him. If everybody was in here and this, this community would start to expand across Bushwick, on down to Bedford-Stuyvesant, and they'd be seeing white veils and white robes and us moving and patrolling all over the place, our own businesses, then those black people out there will become the object of the joke. The white man will turn on them because of you, because that's what they need. They need to turn around one day and see the white man for what he really is. They're afraid to because they got a job. You understand? Me and you got to do that by becoming so, such a strong force that everywhere they look, they see one of us. Mm-hmm. And then when they see a Negro who don't look like one of us, he wants to ask them, then what are you? Mm-hmm. Why yeah. haven't you woken up? Everybody else is awoke. Right. 
Yeah. That's the only way to do it. I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. There's that sister across, the, across town now in the Albany Project sitting on the second floor. They're saying, I ain't getting caught up in all that old black stuff. Yeah. She will have no choice when we are providing food, clothes, shelter, and as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad so clearly put it, which will breed love, peace, and happiness. When they see a healthy community for their kids. We have Arabic classes now here for people on the outside. Sisters come here and bring their kids. Right. Right? Right. We are building the nation from the inside and the out now. There is no more excuses. Okay, I'm not making excuses. No, no, not you. Not you. I'm talking about those people out there. They have no excuses. The gates are open. You understand? You can be outside and participate inside. Study your Arabic. Bring your sister, your your kids here. Bring your wives here. Sisters, teach them Arabic. It's all laid out for you. Now, if they don't respond, lakum, dinukum. To them be their judgment and us be ours. Because then we're entitled to get what the white man gives us and we don't see this opportunity. Anybody can see is what the Ansarlah community is doing is working. Because I was impressed this morning because I listened to a sister who came in the mic. I think she's the first sister. You know what was most impressive about what she was doing? She kept saying the Amorite, the Amorite. She wasn't saying the white man. And the white man hears her in college saying the Amorite, the Amorite. You know what he says? Uh Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. They know who we are now. We're no longer lily white and pure and clean like Mr. Clean. We are the Amorite. Mm -hmm. Then she'll start saying the Canaanite, the Canaanite. And he'll say, she even knows we have the curse. Mm -hmm. That means Ansarlah is moving. The Nubian nation is on the move. What does Adam look like, y'all? What does Isaac look like? Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, you. We're on the move. Our flag is flying high. We're doing good. All we got to do is come together and work outward like a nucleus and keep multiplying themselves. And like the, like the brother said, and there ain't in in plain, simple black language, and there ain't no stopping us now. You done blew. You took too long. You were so busy worrying about my brother, Minister Louis Farrakhan, and how to stop him, and you were so busy worrying about my friend in Florida, Yahweh Ben Yahweh, and imprisoning him, you overlooked the real one. That's why they said he's going to come like a thief in the night. I was there all the time when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was here, just waiting my turn. I was just sitting in the wings, waiting the shot, waiting for the day. And now, the day has come. Truth has arrived. All things will perish. The reformer is here. Not is coming, is here. And I will reform. And the first means of reformation is to get those white images out your head and get the dignity and the identity of a supreme being back in there. So you walk straight up, nose straight, and proud to be who you are. Get your garbs on, women. If you ain't going to put no veil on, put a long skirt on. Cover your bodies up. Get ready. Start to read Arabic. Start to get it. Forget them African study courses. Because ain't no but some Uncle Tom in most cases got a white wife, like the sister said. The guy in charge of the African... Organizational club got a white girlfriend. Still love the white man. They can't break away from the slave master. He's one pushing the crumbs off the table on the floor for them to eat. That's what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught. But no, 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 no. You know how the you know, he said, Come forth, Lazarus. You were in a tomb. 
Rigor mortis had already set in, brothers and sisters. You have been mentally dead for a long time. And I'm saying to you, like Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus. And I ask the Lord, Allah, to give me the strength to resurrect you from the mental dead. Come forth, Lazarus. Come to life everlasting. Join amongst your own and build the Nubian nation. Then we have the option to either go home or make this our home. Because it doesn't belong to either me or the white man. It belongs to the Indians. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, I understand what you're saying. But we got, we can't, we can't let them make us get discouraged and stop believing, because without faith, there's no hope. And I see, and I know you see, when you walk to see people in pendants, and now we got jackets out. We're trying to put anything out to keep the name going across, and with the name Nubian Nation, Nubian Nation, they're like the brother standing, a couple of people, I got the flag with the unk. He got a couple of symbols on his chest, but in the midst of there is that flag, black, red, and green. And I'm not saying red, black, and green. We didn't make no mistake. We didn't say red, black, and green. We're saying black, red, and green. And when you see people say, we're not wearing no doggone Jamaican flag, so take off the yellow and the green, because that was given to you by the white man. We're wearing black, red, and green. And the reason why black is first and not red is because the red on the flag symbolizes blood. We do not, I repeat, we do not intend to bleed again. Right. So we have removed the black and put the black first and put the red second. But you will not do to us what you've done. To as a, now let me go back and make something clear. Do you know that when brothers join into Sunni Islam, that they're back in the slave trade? See, it was the Arabs that sold you into slavery. So now if some brother in America accepts money from one of those organizations, money for blacks in America, he is now becoming John Hawkins. He is receiving money to sell you back under their rule so you can back their philosophy on Islam. Don't you see that if the brother Bilal Phillips gets paid to try to make us unite with them, it's another form of the slave, the Arab slave trade? If the brother Siraj Wahaj is trying to get money to build a mosque on Bedford, then they're going to send into them their kind of teachers with their kind of doctrine, and they're going to be back in an Arab slave trade. Now, okay, we all got to pray that Minister Louis Farrakhan does not get tempted by that beast and fall victim to, fall victim to him. Yeah. And also, keep praying for me. Yeah. They don't also get me. I'm not saying that he's no weaker than I am or no stronger than I am. The devil is busy. Right. I have no intention of talking to him. So it's going to be real difficult for him to convince me to do anything. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go to their meetings. I don't want to meet them. I don't want them to ask me for nothing. And I don't want nothing from them. You can be assured, I'm going to say, get lost. Mm -hmm. Y'all got people worshiping the Kaaba and adoring the Kaaba and kissing the black stone and throwing rocks at brick figures and saying that they're killed, throwing rocks at the devil. Ain't no more religion of Abraham over there. You got the religion of the pagan Arabs there. And I'm not going to adhere to that. And they said the sun will rise in the west. You are the sun. You are rising in the west. You may not speak Arabic well, but you know what the prophecy said? Hear and obey. Even if a man is an Ethiopian, and Ethiopians were not speaking Arabic, you are the sages. 
You are the body of Christ. You understand? This may sound like what, what Warren B. Muhammad said. He said it, but he didn't understand it because he wasn't listening to his father. You are the body of Christ. You are the resurrection. You are the truth. You are the light. You understand that? And all you got to do is get prepared like a bride for the groom and the Messiah will return for you. That's all you have to do is get prepared in your bride's gown. And the women, even in Christianity, they told you when you get married to put on a veil. They don't know nothing about the veil except for when they come to marriage, then they throw on a little veil and say it represents purity and virginity. Well, it also represents what's sent in the book of Revelation where Jesus said the, the end of the world is like the marriage supper of the Lamb. You read that before? It said you got to be prepared like a bride, preparing yourself for that. Well, that veil is part of it. I know you're pretty. I know you don't want to cover your face. But covering your face is unveiling your heart. You understand that? And what I mean by covering your face is unveiling your heart. That means when you cover your face, people have to judge you by your heart, not by your look. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew what he was talking about and knew what he was doing. Cover your face and unveil your heart. Because an uncovered face and a sealed heart is the work of the devil. Um, another question I have, um, Chief Black Eagle, is a lot of people are saying that one day we're Native Americans, one day we're Muslims, one day we're Christians, one day we're Jews, and a lot of people are saying they're being left behind as far as the doctrine is concerned. What, what is your explanation to that? Well, it changes, because what I was trying to tell them is anything that's real is alive, it's growing and changing. Anything that's standing still is dead, right? What happens in our organization is what I was trying to do from day one is cover everything that has poisoned our people. Everything from Christianity to Islam to Judaism to Egyptology to Sumerianism, anything that they confront, extraterrestrialism, whatever they're confronted with, they're not going to be. People that are trying to watch to stay with me strong side by side and walk all the way, they cannot be shaken. They can handle anybody that approaches them, whether they're Freemason or Black Muslim, our brothers in the nation of Islam or the Hebrew Israelites, our brothers the Moors, we, we, we're able to converse on all platforms. You follow that? We are a tribe of Native Americans. Those of those not listen. I'm not saying everybody that's walking is a Native American. Some of them are not Native Americans, and they don't have to help us in the Native American part of the thing. Those that know that they are, then hurry up and get on on the, on the boat. Those who want to say call themselves Nubians, those who want to call themselves Africans, those who want to call themselves Negroes, those who want to call themselves Latinos, want, whatever you want to call yourself. If you don't want to, you know what I'm saying? That's your, that's your problem. But our doctrine has been growing. It's been growing because I try to be unlike most teachers. Most teachers will teach you their philosophy, and that's it. I don't have a philosophy. I don't have Coming to you from the Egyptian Church of Karas, Christ Incorporated. This program is for one group of people and one group only, the children of God. We no longer have to wonder or wander off the straight path. For those who want to make a difference, for those that want to know the truth, to so many unanswered questions, and for those who are tired 
of the devil taking control over everything in their lives and the lives of their children. This program is set up for those who want to be in God's kingdom here on earth. According to the scripture, Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, we must take back control of our lives. We, the Egyptian Church of Karaz Christ Incorporated, are reaching out to embrace all the children of God, as it states in Psalm chapter 82, verse 10. I have said ye are God, and all of you are children of the Most High. Next, you will be listening to our pastor, Reverend Dr. Malachi Z. York L. in question and answer form. Good evening. My question is coming from the sixth chapter of St. John, starting in verse number 53 and 54. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Mm-hmm. The, the question was just to help me to kind of get a... I don't understand it. it just, you should go to, the, um, go to the upper room, section of the upper room, where, uh, where Jesus speaks to his disciples, and they're having the last supper. That's the first time he says, take this bread and eat of it, and, and drink this wine. But if you read on, you're going to say that he says the wine is the revelation. He says wine is the scripture. Later on, when the church reorganized, the wine became almost semi-cannibalism. As they didn't understand what he was saying, they changed it around. And even in churches now, they use it in the form of communion to apply it to after the crucifixion for a while Christ was on the cross. So if you read the Bible, you'll find out that he offered them the bread, and he offered them the wine before he even went to the cross, before he even met the cross. And he tells them right in there, you found a section? Yes. So read it for me. You'll see where it becomes there. We're in Matthew 26, verse 26. A lot of people get confused. It sounds like some form of crazy cannibalism. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. When you read the scripture, you see what Christ is saying. It comes out totally different. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat this, is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many, for the remission of sin. You know what he's saying? He's saying that this is the blood of the New Testament, right? And the blood of the New Testament is the life, because in St. John chapter 1, he says, the life is the light in men. So he was trying to tell them, but these people didn't have a scripture yet, except the old scripture. They still were following the old law. And he was telling them, this is like a new covenant through me. As this scripture that you shall from henceforth receive shall be the new covenant. It is my blood. 
is based around my blood, around my suffering. And a lot of people don't understand that when Christ says my blood, again, they take it to the cross, and Christ is taking it to his seed, his blood seed, because he was seeking out that which was lost. He was trying to find the tribe of Judah, the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. A lot of people don't like that, and they want to take Paul and say, well, Paul came to the Gentiles, and through Paul, they have salvation. But Paul does not have the power to go to Gentiles. And Christians will argue this point day and night because they won't go to the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 1. If Paul was indeed sent to the Gentiles, like he claims, and after Christ said, go not into the way of the Gentiles, but go only to the Lord, she will to Israel only. I come to my own, my own receiveth me not. The different things he said, well, read Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. And remember, all of Paul's writings and all of the other gospels, the four synoptic gospels, were already revealed, already complete. The last book in the Bible of the book of Revelations, and that was revealed between 96 and 98 in the Isles of Patmos while John was incarcerated. You remember that? And every other book was finished. So anything Paul said in Hebrews or was said in Corinthians or in Colossians or in any other books were already completed. You got that point? Now listen with John. And remember how important this John is because in the book of John, Jesus refers to John as his beloved. Remember that. And also remember that when James and Barnabas was trying to take Paul back to Jerusalem and leave Antioch, where they were insulting his Jesus' followers and calling them Christians as an insult in Antioch, when they was telling Paul, we have to take you back to the old disciples so that they can test your spirit to see whether you are God or not, because many false prophets are going into the world. Paul ran away from them and would not go back to meet John, who Jesus Christ called his beloved, one of his own. Now read the 11th chapter of Revelation. Let's hear what John says after everything Paul said, and see what comes up. Read it. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, Right there, John, son of Zebedee, is making it very clear that they're interested in the tabernacle of God, the seed of God, the holy seed from which Christ came through from the line of David, not through Solomon. Like many people would like to make you believe, Solomon sinned, according to the book of Israel, by mixing his seed. It came to the first son, Bahagiah and Adonijah. And it came on down, and then Jesse messed up the seed and went and married a Canaanite and had two children, and those two children died. And then God again gave Judah to marry Tamar and give birth to two more sons, and then Peleg carried the seed on down. God is trying to keep the blood of the house of Judah, not the house of Israel. The house of Israel had already fallen out of God's grace by violating the commandments of God not to mix their seed amongst the Canaanites who had mixed their seed with everybody. He was keeping the blood pure so that the spirit of Christ could get into the body. God cannot go into an impure body. 
And if you read the books of Israel, you'll find it constantly tells you how Solomon sinned because he married daughters outside the house. It tells you about people defiling the blood of God. So Christ is not talking about just the blood of, on the cross. Christ is talking about the blood of the family of the seed of the woman that's been in conflict with the dragon called the serpent and the chash in the scripture since Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where the devil will attempt to bite you at your heel. Symbolic of the dragon which becomes in modern day the Dracula that will try to get their venom into your bloodstream and try to get their genes into your genes and destroy the God or the holy seed. The word holy in the Tanakh or Torah is Kodesh, and it means to be pure, to be something that's not diluted, something that's sure and certain and clean. And God was telling you from all the way back to Eve. Eve and Adam's seed was defected, and then God perfected it again in Seth. God says, you have given me a son instead of Abel. And then that seed was perfected, and then it started to go bad again. And all the way from Genesis to this day, God has been trying to keep the seed holy. When the children of Israel had formed the city of Jerusalem under Solomon and Zadok, then God sent Adonijah south, and he set up the city of Judea. And he had Asher with him, Benjamin with him, Dinah, which is the only daughter, and he had Dan with him. And that was the seed of Judah. And they went down and set up the city of Judea. Solomon, if you read in Kings, kept attacking the city. They migrated further down and migrated. And Benjamin stopped and set up what's called Yemen today. Ben-Yemen just means son of my right hand. His first name was Ben-Ami, which was son of the Egyptian god On. But then they changed his name to Benjamin, son of my right hand. That's the city of Yemen. And then in those other tribes, Dan moved up into Africa, came known as the Danakal tribe. The Falashian tribe is coming from Memlek, the son of Solomon, by Bathsheba. And they came down and went into Ethiopia and became known as the Falashians. All of these are Negro tribes, the Holy Seed, the seed of Judah. Now, there's a lot of other people in Israel, many other races. Don't get me wrong. It's not a racist statement. It happens to be a biblical fact. There are many people in our seed because we have mixed our seed with Canaanites, Ammonites, Moabites, even though Moab and Ammon come from Lot, they come through incest, which defiled the seed and violates the Levitical law. So Ruth was really of the Moabites, and that was a corrupt seed. So if someone married into Ruth's seed, they also was married into a defiled seed. And God, like I said, was trying to keep it pure. So they moved us down out of the Holy Land, all the way down to the land of Judea. They kept attacking us in Judea, so we moved further down and moved up into Ethiopia. The tribe of Dan moved up and became known as the Danakal tribe. Later on, the Danakal mixed in with another tribe of Judah called Huda or Yahuda, and they became known as the Hendendawa. The name Huda or Hadi that you find used as Mahdi or Mahdi is the exact same word as Judah. And that tribe mixed together and they formed the Danagla. And those people have found the way the Bible describes them in ancient times as Cush, which is Ethiopia, as Ham, which is Sudan, as Phut, which extends from Libya all the way over to Algeria. And you'll find all of those families in that area, those are your original tribes in Mitzrayim, which is called the original Egyptian, 
before, as he said, the Canaanites snuck into Egypt and set up a ruling class that kept the children of Israel in captivity for 430 years, as opposed to the Sodom and Egypt, which you're in now, and you'll be in bondage for 400 years, which is spoken of in Genesis chapter 15, says, No of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs, and they shall serve them 400 years. When you get to the end of that verse, it says, Cause the iniquities of the Amorites are not yet full. And the Amorites was the sons of Canaan. The Egyptians wasn't the sons of Canaan. The Egyptians were the sons of Cush and Ham. And when you look up the word Cush, you get the word Habashia or Ethiopia, or you get the translation of Cush meaning dark skin. You look up the word ham, you get the same thing, burnt hammon, burnt dark. These were all Negro tribes back in Noah's time. Noah's family and all of them were Negroes. Abraham, the reason why he kept going to Assyria and Egypt is because when you check the family of Abraham out, Abraham or Avram was born in Chaldea or of Chaldea, but he was Assyrian. You'll find his family from him to Nahar to Leban. They say Leban the Syrian. So Abraham was a Syrian. The language you hear spoken, Arabic today, comes from that ancient language, Syretic. That language that the Arabs made, the thing they're speaking up today, from a variety of different dialects of other cultures. Some Hindi, from Urdu is mixed in it. Some Turkish stands mixed in it. Some, uh, what do you call it, French is mixed in it. In Morocco, some Latin is mixed in it. But the original language of the Bible, Ashurik, and the language that Jesus spoke was Arabic or Galilean Arabic or Nazarene Arabic. If Abraham's seed was those original Syrians, God was trying to perfect it through Abraham again. By the time he got past Noah and inside the ark, Canaan was born in Albino, which is where they get the word from the Caucasus Mountains called Abras, which is a Hebrew word and an Arabic word, Abrasa, meaning leprosy, right? Those same people came down out of the mountains to mix their seed. That was the tribes of Canaan, just going around mixing their seed. One of the things they brought with them is their obsession with flesh. Check the three histories out. You'll find that you have what's called Beijing, which became known as Peking, where they get Peking man from. And that is an oriental. That's a caveman. That's one type of man. And I'll get into that. Then you have the Neanderthal man. The Neanderthal was found up in Germany. The Neanderthal man is the Caucasian. See, that's called also a caveman who lived up in the mountains in Europe. Then you have down in Kenya and in Ethiopia and in Uganda. The difference is that the people down in Kenya, Ethiopia, and Uganda under Lucy were vegetarians or veggies. The people up in Neanderthal, it has been proven, right, were carnivorous and ate flesh. This is why so many diseases are in the body today, because so many people have followed after the way when the Caucasians came down today, and even today they eat flesh. Now, when I go over to the Mongolians, or what you call the Asiatic people, which are from Peking, man. Then you get into people that eat almost anything. They eat bugs, snakes, dogs, cats, anything. Different ones. There's the ones that ate flesh, and the ones up in Neanderthal didn't just eat what they call cow, bull, oxen, goat. They ate people as well. The word, that cannibal word comes from them up in that area. And today there's still records of them still people eating each other, like Jeffrey Dahmer and this other fellow they just recently caught was eating a bunch of young boys. It's still in the gene. You can't get it out of the gene. So God was trying to keep his seed pure of that. 
from coming all the way down to the family. And that's why they keep speaking about the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ. But they don't just leave it there. They say blood of Christ, seed of David. And they want to make it clear that they're not talking about Suleiman or Solomon or Shalomon who had sinned before God by mixing his seed with people. Get back to Revelation 11. When it talks in Revelation 11 about counting the people, this is a second counting for the new Jerusalem. Because there was another counting years ago, which the brother was going to read, when Israel was trying to get back into Jerusalem after they came out of the captivity of the Babylonians and had mixed their seed terribly with the Canaanites. And when they tried to move back in the city, the priests stopped them and said, you people cannot come in the city because you had committed the sin of mixing your seed. And they only let Judah and Dan and certain tribes back in, and most of the tribes of Israel were forbidden because they were no more. They later went on and became known as Jewish, a word that didn't pop up until 1514. That's the first time the word Jew or Jewish was used. In the year 1514, anytime you find it in a book before that, it's a conspiracy. So when you find it in the New Testament where Christ says, I know the blasphemy of them who call themselves Jews and are not, the word Jew could not have been there because the word wasn't created until 1514. He was saying, I know those who are of the tribe of Judah and are not. Because a lot of us had to what? Defiled our seed and mixed our seed. Some by will and others by Force. But in order for God to manifest, for he says, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is flesh in Genesis chapter 6. So God moves by putting his breath or spirit or life into your body. And he says, I breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a, I breathed into him of my spirit and became a, but man now is void of God and void of God's spirit because his vessel, his temple, his tabernacle is unclean. So John, son of Zebedee, after the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had already gone, your father, and was destined to return, reminds the children of Israel and reminds them right there in Revelation, it's time to do another counting. But you notice that he adds, he says, a reed and a rod. Why? Because we're going to start counting people by their genes. And some people will have to be dealt with by a rod because they're going to stand and say, I'm of the tribe of Israel. Just like it says in the Bible, people are going to say, didn't I heal in your name, Jesus? And Jesus is going to tell them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? Because these are people that are following Paul. And Paul is one of the three frogs mentioned in Revelation that comes out of the mouth of the dragon and has the devil as a companion and false prophet speaking for them. The three frogs is Paul, Titus, and Cyrene. Those are the three Romans that were propagating a new form of Christianity that said you do not have to keep the law. When Jesus says in St. John chapter 1, verse 17, the law came from Moses. Namus ego musia. Law came from Moses, but grace and truth come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus also backed up by saying, I did not come to, but to fulfill. So when Paul comes along and says, no, we don't have to keep the Shabbat. No, we don't have to be circumcised. No, we don't have to do this. No, what he is doing is creating another gospel. And when he starts talking about Jesus Christ, the way he does in metaphysics, instead of reality, 
Then we're now talking about another Jesus. The Jesus he's talking about is found in Acts also. He's called Simon Bar Jesus. That's the one that they're worshiping today. He's called a Jew, a false prophet, and a sorcerer. A one who works of magic and mesmerize a whole town of people. Uh, El Maras, they call him, a learnt one. This one is the one Paul is propagating. Paul don't want to teach about the Jesus as found in Revelation chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He don't want to talk about that Jesus because that Jesus is described as a Negro. It says, hair like lamb's wool, feet like brass, fine brass, blemishless, as if it's been burnt in a furnace. They don't want to teach that. They want to teach an image of a beast. And then they want to give that image life. And don't call it racism. They call it racism if I say Jesus is black. But it's not racism when they go against the words of the Bible and put up a white image or Italian image or whatever other image they want to give. When God gives a description of his son in the book of Revelations, I have yet, as I watch the word channel, to ever see one of those guys go to that verse and try to explain it. Right. They will run around it, jump over it, step over it, get around it. But they won't go nowhere near it. And there's good reason. Because it says in the book of Revelations, in the 13th chapter, that they are going to take the image of the beast. You with me? The image. That means a drawing, a statue, something that's lifeless. And they're going to give it life, it says in the Bible. So that it will be able to walk and talk. Now, how do you do that? When you go back to Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo, and they're responsible for drawing these concepts of God and Jesus as other than what the Bible describes. And then by the time you leave them to now, we got movies of Jesus. And these movies now are actors who are American or British or whatever, Caucasians, acting like Jesus. They took an image which was lifeless and they gave it life and made it able to walk and talk that it may deceive the world. And that you will love the image of the beast and no longer love your own image. That you won't want to be you. That you won't want to be what you look like. You want to look like other than yourself. You don't want to be in the image of God. Because God says in Genesis, I created man in my image and after my likeness. But yet when Christ comes and says, when you see me, you see God, Romans got mad. Mixed Jews whose seeds have been corrupt got mad. Why were they mad at that statement? Look at it again. Genesis says, I created man in my image and after my likeness. God says that. So man looks like God. And then Christ says, when you see me, you see the Father. And then when I read Revelations, I get a description of Christ. And then I know why the Romans didn't like it. Then I know why they wanted to kill him. And I know why they hated his disciples. And they key in on it because in Matthew 15, a woman comes out of Canaan, a Canaanite woman, comes up to Jesus and tries to get Jesus to heal her. And the Bible says he ignored her. Why did he ignore her? He ignored the same reason why God told Cain, I'm not going into the land of Nod. Because those people over there are evil. So God ignored the woman, again, in the flesh as Jesus Christ, because he knew that she said what? My daughter is grievously vexed with a demon. Jesus did not heal the woman. He told her by her faith was she healed. 
The disciples said, send that woman away. Why would Jesus' disciples, men are supposed to be so nice, men are supposed to be so loving, men are supposed to be so kind, in the presence of such a wonderful, illustrious person as Jesus Christ, not want to talk to a woman? Why would they even walk up to Christ and say, send that woman away? Is that the pattern of the disciples? No. Do you see that anywhere in the Bible? No, because this woman was a Canaanite. And Jesus said, said, you twelve, go ye to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. Go find my people. And when he went to Nazareth, amongst his own people, and the people of Nazareth called Nebulus, are Negroes. I was there. When he went there, and lived amongst his own people, they stoned him. So you know what he said? I came to my own, and my own receiveth me not. But as many as do, not as many in the whole world, that's not what it says. As many of them that do, to them I give the power to become. And when he said the sons of God, now you're back to the most important point the brother's trying to reach. Ears to the kingdom of God. Ears. We are God's chosen people, the tribe of Judah. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. We have been scattered from Puerto Rico to the Caribbeans up in London. You can find where people are. We've been scattered. Like God said, I'll scatter you across the earth. But Christ came to gather that or to find that which was lost. He was in Jerusalem. Am I not right? That's right. He was right in the city of Galilee. He was in the city of Nazareth in Bethel. He went all over the cities. But how could a man, listen close. How could a man like Christ be there in all those cities and then say, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of... How could the people still be lost if he's with them? If he's standing in Jerusalem with them, how could they possibly be lost? Because he was seeking out the Negroes like himself and saying, you are the holy seed. This ain't racism. This is the Bible. I mean, if you call it racism because you want to be God and you want me to be subject to you, so as long as Jesus was really white in all the churches and all those crosses, that was okay. But when now we're in a day of computer and sciences and archaeologists excavating and finding bones, BBC went over there to Nazareth and dug up bones and found out in Bethlehem of Judea that everybody in that village, Jesus' age, were niggers. Right. Niggers not a bad word. Niggers not a bad word. Niggers right in the books of Acts, chapter 13. Right. Simon, Jesus' brother, is called Simon the nigger. And if you look in the back of the Bible on the nigger for Greek, you get black skin. And that was Jesus' own brother. That wasn't the one who helped carry the cross. That's a whole nother myth necessary to make it look like, oh, let the negro help carry the cross. The subtle racism that they keep sticking to whom? To Paul. Paul is a liar. And let me tell you why. Because Paul says when he was on the road to Damascus, he saw a bright light. Right. And what was the end result of that? He was blind, right? That's right. Right? All right. So now, then he says there was two other men with him. And they saw the bright light. Yet they escorted him into the city. Now, why wasn't they blind? And then another place, when he caught that lie, he said, well, they didn't see the light. <laughs> but they just heard the voice. But Paul didn't live during Jesus' time. So Paul wouldn't recognize Jesus' voice. So another time he said, well, I heard not the voice, but I did see the light. Because if someone would have said to him, Paul, 
How would you know? If we didn't have tape recorders back then. How would you know that that was Jesus and not Satan talking to you? You didn't know Jesus' voice. You didn't walk with Jesus. You didn't talk with Jesus. You didn't break bread with Jesus. You didn't sup with Jesus. You opposed Jesus' followers. You took pleasure in persecuting Jesus' followers. What's wrong with the world now is John, son of Zebedee, also in the three epistles of John, tried to warn us about an antichrist that was living then, not future. He said, antichrist are with us now. And Christ said right there in Matthew 24, many are going to come in my name and say, I am Christ. They're not going to say they're Christ. They're going to say he's Christ. And Christ is going to tell them, I don't know you. What is he going to say? I don't know you. And then what did he say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And what did the disciples tell that woman? Get away from us. Depart from me. They're telling you who they're talking about. All these rich evangelists running around making all this money and jumping all over the place on television with millions of dollars and laying on their hands and knocking people down. Show me one place, one place in the Bible where Jesus Christ put his hand on somebody and knocked them down. One place. I watch them on TV and have these steps in the front of the churches and folks are coming up throwing envelopes of money down on the stage. If I recall right, the Lord Jesus Christ was upset for people exchanging money in his father's house. And if those are supposed to be houses of worship and churches, you're not supposed to exchange money there. So, this is why you've never seen in all the 30 years that I've been teaching you, you've never seen us pass out no plate. Because if you pass out a plate, you're going against what Jesus said. And if you're following Jesus, you must obey him. I don't care about the money. Because whoever God is for, no one can be against. <laughs> you will get the money. God will take care of you. He will build his own kingdom. Your father, those people are working with the Antichrist. And they got the television swarm with the image of the beast. They got movies. Every year they got a new Jesus. A new actor. Making sure they take a dead image, a still image, one created way back there, and give it life. And they even have it walking and talking on big screens. Like the Bible says they would. The same thing they said about the prophets of the fig and the olive. It tells us in the Bible, the fig and the olive, they said, their bodies shall lay in the street for three and a half years, and all eyes shall behold them. This was said 2,000 years ago before there was TV and satellite. But now when we look on television, we see the fig and the olive. The fig is Moses and the olive is Muhammad. You follow? If you check their books, you'll find that out. Zechariah talks about it, and it's also in the Quran also. And we see the blood of Arabs, or people call themselves Arabs. I can go there too if you want me. Arabs and Palestinians and Jews, their blood is in the street, and people all over the world are looking at television now. You see them bodies laying in the street. The Bible ain't made no mistake. That's a prophecy of 2,000 years before a television or a video or DVD was even created. God already knew. One day, you'll be looking at a screen in America, and you'll see bodies of dead prophets in the street in Jerusalem. You can't get away from the word of God. What you got to do now is get back online with God. Because Christ is coming, your father, to give you and make you heirs to the kingdom of God. You got to go forth right and exact. You know what I'm saying? 
get rid of the crap because the stats was holding everybody back. Anybody else got a question? Yeah, talk to me. Third, a third article, right. No, not yet. Uh, when you speak about judges, the reason why taxes appears to, appears to be there is because you may not believe it, but you're, you, if you're my boss, I can't judge you. You understand? Let me say that again. If I pay your salary and you work for me, how can you judge me? So there are judges in this country that are on salary based on the tax. And there are judges in this country that are not on salary based on the, uh, based on the Federal Reserve. You understand? Third article judges in the first book that I gave you on that blue one, if you read it, you'll find out they say a third article judge is called in when a habeas corpus is written up, which is referred to as a writ. That means when the court went into session and everything that was supposed to be said and done was supposed to be done in order, and that's why there's a gavel there. Now, a judge has a gavel sitting up on his desk. That's like the whistle on the tennis court. He goes, and the game starts. You with me? Yes, sir. That judge goes, bam, court is now in session. In other words, let's, let the game go. That's what a court is. A court is a place where games are played. And only people who are smart enough to become empires or rest know the real rules of the game. The person that walks up, how many of y'all people bowl? How many of y'all people went bowling the first time with a relative and just started throwing the ball all down in the gutter, every place, and a couple of times had the nerve to get strikes? <laughs> but then when someone said to you, whoa, 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 that's not how you're supposed to bowl. You're supposed to put three fingers in, hold it around over here, see them dots over there, take three steps, keep your foot bounce, and hold, don't let the ball swing, it's going to go into New York, or going ready? And well, and the Jake gave you up, by the time they gave you all, them, all that stuff, you couldn't get the ball down the lane. You was throwing balls, going backwards and stuff. Right? The person who knows the game is the person who's empire in the game. You understand? The guy was sitting on the side of the tennis court like this. Watching what's happening, he knows the rules and regulations of the game. And if you have any sense at all, before you get on the tennis court, you'd become a, a judge. Why would you become a judge? Because you know what they feel. You know what they're thinking. You know when they're going to make a call. You know when the player intimidates them and gets them mad. Do you know anytime you walk into a court in this country without a suit and a tie on, you have already violated the law? There is a law that you come to the court or the game in tennis shorts. Did you know that? That you're supposed to wear a dark suit, a white shirt, and a striped white and blue tie when you go to court? That's the law of the court. So when you go in there thinking that you're doing something by going there doing your thing, you start off with a mark against you because you are out of uniform for a court proceeding. And a judge usually looks at you and basically says that. He just goes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then you look like, then you say to your man, oh man, we ain't got a chance. Like, it's just like, 
Then you got the fool who thinks he's a Freemason, and somebody that told him some silly rituals. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's walking down and he goes like this. <laughs> and the judge, the judge was thinking about giving him one year. He did this. He just said, uh, three, three, three years. The judge thought you were trying to tell him something. There's a system, and we are on the outside of that system. And this is why we keep blaming everybody for everything that happens to us. Because we're on the outside. We won't get involved. I'm not telling you to become a politician. I don't care what party you vote for, Democrat or Republican, it's your business. But know the law that you live under. So you know your right. They live here. You follow that? That will attack you. Most people don't know that more people get killed by deer than car accidents. Because everybody's under the illusion that deer are Bambi. So they walk up to the deer and the deer literally whips their ass. <laughs> and literally, I mean literally whips you. But most city folks don't have no idea of the dangers of living in the woods. So you do need weapons to defend yourself. You don't need it in New York City or in Atlanta. Well, I guess you do. Well, it's a different kind of deer walking around New York City and Atlanta. He just doesn't have an attitude. But actually, the Brady Law was torn down as of today. It's no longer in effect. Now, now think about that. When they met, when they passed it, they made us all hear it and know it. And if I went to buy a gun, I had to wait six days and total investigation. But today, they introduced it that it's been pulled back, and it's not. It's been not talking about it all the way. Now, the law to buy a gun is no longer in effect. Where they got a, they got an interview, or have to go check it to the computer. Did they make that a big thing? No. That's the game they use. You have a right to petition a law. Against the Constitution, against anything, not you, anybody, anybody in this country. And they will consider that law and sometimes preemptively send that law too. Because it's best for the people for the moment. But then you have to come back when people who are strict to the Constitution say, well, of course, it's such and such an amendment Constitution, Article so and so, amending so and so and such and such, you don't have that right. And they go, okay, you just back off and try something else. You have the right to tear up the flag, you know. True. You do have the right to tear up the flag. You don't have the right to burn it or spit on it. You know why you have a right to tear up the flag? Because the flag, if it becomes desecrated, dirty, or abused, then rather than have a raggedy, dirty flag flying, you have the right to take it down and destroy it. But you don't have the right to abuse the American flag, which is not the American flag, by the way. The red, white, and blue flag is not the American flag. Do you know that? The American flag is blue and white, and the lines are not horizontal, they're vertical. And in the upper left-hand corner is a box, and it has the Coast Guard symbol. That is the real American flag, and if you go research it, you'll find that that's called the peacetime flag. This flag... وصلى الله على أنبياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحسي والمجدد لمن مرسلين أما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that He is alone and has no part and that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sustainer of all the boundless universes 
All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend. And send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles. And on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God. And on the Mujaddid, the reformer. Which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour, airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WGAG Radio. 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 Radio.